All right, so we're going to be looking at uh, the Christmas story. As I've been studying this passage, I've really sympathized with people who, uh, you know, there may be a tendency for us to oversimplify the Christmas story and maybe sentimentalize it a little bit. But as I've studied it and all the the background that's involved, I, I can I can sympathize with why it's so tempting to oversimplify because there's there's a lot to unpack. And so I've entitled this news worth sharing. So I think one of the one of the scariest experiences for me in my spiritual life is when life gets so busy and I get caught up in the cares of the world and doing just trying to get things done and I turn around and and I realize that my heart is kind of cold for the gospel. And I don't I don't have enthusiasm for what God has done in my life. And when I don't have enthusiasm for what God has done in my life, I don't feel a compulsion to share what God has done in my life. And so if there's this, the, at the heart of the Christmas story is this announcement of what God has done on behalf of humanity. It's this declaration that God has acted in human history on behalf of his people. And, and, and the, and the message is, is that it's news worth sharing, that we should be more excited about what God has done for us than anything else. And uh, it's not, I was thinking about how many of you have done this. You go, you pull out your phone and you go to Facebook and you scroll, and you scroll, you say, oh, that's, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, oh, yeah, like. I'm going to like that. Oh, man, that's funny. Share. I want to share that. I want somebody. Ooh, my wife needs to hear that. Share. Right? right? So we, we scroll through, and we like, and we share, and we like, and we share, and we like, and we share. But how much of what you've liked and how much of what you've shared do you remember the next day or do you remember the next week? So I'm afraid, and I'm... Frankly, I'm glad that you're not internalizing most of what's on Facebook. So I'm not encouraging you to do that. But I am saying that I feel like I'm afraid that the gospel becomes that way for me. That the good news becomes old news. And I get too familiar with it. And my love for the gospel gets cold. And it just becomes one of those things that I I like it. I see it. Oh, that's cool. I like it. But maybe our hearts can get so cold that we just scroll past it. But it needs to be something that we're enthusiastic uh, about. Not not only do we like it, but that we share it. And so we're going to look at the Christmas story, which reminds us of that. I'm going to start in verse 1 to kind of give us the historical context. But we're really going to be unpacking verses 8 through 20. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own hometown. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child." And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths 
and laid him in a manger. A manger is a feeding trough because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would uh, bless the preaching of your word, God, as we as we hear it this morning. Father, would you do a work in this place? Would you start with my heart, God? Would you would you ignite in me a new enthusiasm for the gospel and a and a, and a fresh uh, white hot passion to proclaim it? And Father, would would you do that for every person here, God? Would you cause us to be a people who praise and proclaim what you've done in Jesus Christ? that we would not uh, not have a lukewarm like about what you've done, God, but that we would be filled with, with real deep, the deepest, deepest love of our hearts would be Jesus Christ. We thank you for his love for us and what it's accomplished, Father. We pray that you have your way in this place right now in Jesus' name. Amen. So the big idea is that the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ is the greatest news ever delivered. It deserves to be pondered, praised, and proclaimed. But why is it good news? I think this is, this is part of the background that we don't, we don't fully understand. We don't, we, we kind of have this idea that Israel was, he came to be their savior and, and from our vantage point looking back we we think about that mainly in terms of personal salvation he came so we could pray the prayer and get saved but israel was in a a historical situation where they needed salvation uh yeah they needed eternal salvation but they needed deliverance in real time do you know that god is the savior of all of your life he's not just your savior in eternity but he's your savior right now and he's a deliverer right now and so he said, so why is this good news? For them, it was because Israel is in exile. Uh, in 586 BC, they went into captivity. Babylon came in and conquered them. And, uh, if you've read your Old Testament, you know that the reason that Babylon came in and conquered them was because God was judging Israel for its sin. And so Israel's exile, they were not, it's not like they were poor, innocent people 
oppressed by these by these big bad people just independent of God's will and working but this is the the old testament describes this as an action of God to judge them for their sinfulness but with this judgment also came a promise that there would come a day when God's judgment would be done and he would turn and he would hear Israel's cry and he would come and he would deliver them so from the the Babylonians in 586 uh, the Babylonian Empire was uh, absorbed into the Persian Empire. So Israel was under the rule of Babylon, then they were under the rule of Persia, and then they were under the rule of Greece, and then finally they came to be under the rule of the Romans. If you've read Daniel chapter 2, uh, you may remember this crazy story where the king has a dream, and he sees this statue, and the statue has a head of gold, and he has a torso of silver, and he has legs of bronze, and he has feet of iron mixed with clay. And Daniel says, I, and in, this, in this vision, the king says, I saw uh, a rock that was cut out without hands, and this rock landed on the feet of the statue and smashed the statue, and the whole statue came crumbling down, and it became like the chaff of the threshing floor, and it, the wind just blew it away. And Daniel interprets this and he says, those, that statue represents four kingdoms. And he says, and that rock that smashes those four kingdoms is the kingdom of God that he's going to establish and that kingdom will have no end. And then in Daniel chapter seven, he tells about this other figure who's going to be the leader of this kingdom. He says, I saw one, he said, I had a night vision and I saw one like a son of man and he approached the ancient of days, which is what his word for God, what he's calling God. He approached the ancient of days and he received a dominion and a kingdom and that kingdom would have no end. And so the Jewish people in the time between, uh, at least from Daniel and on, uh, they started to de- develop the idea of a Messiah. They also got this from Isaiah's uh, servant songs, where, where Isaiah, God talks about my anointed servant who is going to do all, going to perform all my will. And so they, they understood that God was going to send someone on their behalf. And so, so Israel, during the time of Roman rule, you can see for hundreds of years they've been a conquered people. It's been hundreds of years since they had a nation that, to call their own and a homeland to call their own. And the ruler of the Roman Empire during the time of Jesus was a guy named, they called him Caesar Augustus. Luke calls him Caesar Augustus. His name was Octavian. He was the nephew of Julius Caesar. And he ruled from 31 BC to 14 AD. This is what uh, Caesar Augustus, now in those days, just like today, if you give a lot of money and build some buildings, they put your name on the building. And so there are these inscriptions around about Octavian. It says, divine Augustus Caesar, son of a God, the benefactor and savior of the whole world. And there's another one that says his birth signaled good news for the whole world. So you see those highlighted words there are words that Luke is going to use in connection with Jesus. And so in the world in which Jesus was born, the leader of the country claimed to be a god, the son of a god. Uh, and actually imperial worship started with Augustus. Uh, he, he, he did it by 
claiming that Julius Caesar had been a god. And he got everybody to worship Julius Caesar. And then he said, well, you know, I'm related to him, so I guess I'm a god too. So so that's how uh, imperial worship got started in the cult. And so he claimed claimed to be a god. And so Luke, writing his gospel at... now. Caesar Augustus died in 14 AD. Luke's probably writing in the 60s AD. And so, and Jesus was crucified probably around 30 to 33 AD. So Jesus would have been very familiar with how these inscriptions and how Augustus himself. And Luke would have been very familiar with these inscriptions and how Augustus portrayed himself. So when Luke writes about Jesus with this terminology, when he says that God has sent a savior and that the angel is bringing good news, he is not, that's an, it's not an accident. He is consciously presenting a divine alternative to the power structures of the day. And he's saying Caesar is not God. The one true God has come and he's acted on your behalf and it's not Caesar. And so the reason that the Christmas story uh, sometimes it doesn't have a lot of depth for us is because we don't understand that situation that's going on in the background. And I think the same, the same thing is true for us. We, in our culture, we are so masterful at numbing ourselves to the reality of our situation with materialism, with alcohol, with whatever. We are masters at numbing ourselves to the reality of our situation. So the reason that it's so easy for the good news to become old news to us many times is because we don't really see the, how desperate our situation really is. And so, and so part of what it means to, to recapture the wonder of the good news is to allow ourselves to feel the plight that we're really in. The people of Israel, as a conquered people, they understood the plight that they were really in. A great example of some people that tried to insulate themselves from that plight is the Pharisees. You remember when, when they, in John's gospel, when they decided that they were going to hand Jesus over to the Romans, they said, why would, if we let this guy go on like this, the whole world is going to follow after him and the Romans will come and they will take away our place and they will come and they will take away our nation. And so they were a people, the Pharisees decided that, you know what, we've, we've constructed this world for ourselves where we can get along all right if we don't rock the boat. And so we're willing, we're, we're not going to ask questions about whether this guy is really the Messiah. We're not going to ask questions about what God's will really is. We're just going to protect this little world that we've constructed for ourselves. And if you if you are committed in your heart to protecting the little world that you've constructed for yourself, you will miss God. And so it's good news if we're willing to hear the good news. For those who have ears to hear that good news. It's good news because the birth of Jesus Christ embodies the salvation of God for his people. The birth of Jesus Christ is, is God showing up in history to act on our behalf. Some people, uh, the theologians among you may say, well, wait a minute. I thought that the death of Jesus Christ embodies the salvation of God for his people. Well, in, in the gospel story, the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus are all wrapped up together. And so the birth of Jesus, the, the reason that there's such celebration when he arrives is because in the arrival of this child is 
the salvation of God's people, the sure salvation. And so his death is anticipated and looked forward to. And we even see that in Luke's gospel. In chapter 2, verse 7, which we read, it says that when the baby's born, and this is uh, Joel Green's translation of the Greek text, it says that they wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger. And if you fast forward to chapter 23, 53, after Jesus is crucified, the same language shows up. It says they wrapped his body in a linen cloth and laid it in a tomb. And Luke is consciously putting bookends around the, around the gospel and saying this, this baby that was born and, and laid in a manger. And by the way, a feeding trough is a very strange place to find a newborn baby. You know, you've probably never gone to the maternity ward at Baylor looking for a friend and they said, Oh, you know, we ran out of room. They're down in the garage. Right? You've never, you've never had that experience. In their day, a feeding trough would have been a very strange place to find a baby. And in the same way, a tomb is a very strange place to find the king of all creation. This, this child that was going to be the savior of the world, uh, a, a manger is a strange place for such a child to be placed. You'd expect him to be treated as royalty in his death and in his life. Uh, we find him in, in, in strange places, not where we would expect. And so he says, this is good news of great joy. In verse 8, he says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So they know something strange is going on. And they were filled with great fear. But the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So this word that's translated, I bring you good news, is this Greek word, uh, euangelizo. It's, it's the Greek word where we get, we get the word evangelize. And it just means, I bring good news. But it's kind of like when we're, when we're talking about news like this, good news is kind of an understatement, right? The good news that he's bringing is not like, your Facebook. It's not like scrolling and liking and sharing, but the kind of good news that he's bringing, given the the anticipation that the, that these people had. If you read through chapter one of Luke, in in Gabriel's announcement, in Mary's Magnificat that we looked at, they talk about how oh God is going to show up for those who are oppressed. He's going to bring deliverance for us who have been waiting so long. You know what? There, it's like when somebody gives you relief from some for something that your soul has been aching for. And so when it talks about good news, it's like it's it's more like your your oncologist saying, "Congratulations, you're cancer free." It's that kind of good news. It's to call it good news is an understatement because it's something that that it's 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 soothing an ache in your soul. Uh, it's like when you've Struggled with infertility for years, and the doctor says, it's a boy. The doctor says, it's a girl. That's good news, but it's more than good news because it's something that's been so longed for, something that's been so anticipated. I bring you good news. 
It's a very important word for Luke. This word is like 54 times in the New Testament, and in Luke, 25 of those are in Luke Acts, in Luke's writings. And he says, this good news is going to result in great joy. And he says, the good news is that God has sent a Savior. By Savior, he means the embodiment of God's salvation, a Redeemer. And he doesn't just mean a Savior, but he means the Savior. If you've read Acts 4, Peter says in his sermon, he says, there is salvation in no one else. Why? Because there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other way. And so you're, you're living in a world where people are constantly presenting options in front of you of ways to really numb yourself to your need. But Scripture says there you'll only find one way of salvation, and that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says that this Savior is Christ. And Christ is the Greek word. It's a Greek translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah. And it just means an anointed one. But again, we looked at those passages in Daniel, or we talked about those passages in Daniel, and the Jewish people had this concept of a of a, a Messiah who would come, and he would be God's chosen leader. And so they're expecting a ruler. He is the, the messianic king, the one who's been anointed by God to uh, rule Israel. So he's the one who's going to deliver Israel. He's the one who's going to rule Israel. But it gets even better because... He's the Lord God himself. Today has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we looked at Matthew uh, earlier this month where in that passage where uh, he says that, that he is the Emmanuel, which is Hebrew for he is God with us. In our human situation, there was no, there was no human qualified to deliver us from our circumstance. And so God himself stepped into history. God himself took on human flesh and stepped in to do what we could not do for ourselves. So we have a Savior who is the Messianic King, and he is God himself. And not, all of that would not be good news unless he did all this for you and for me. So he says, for unto you is born. First John chapter four, verse nine says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. I mean, the love of God appeared. It became visible, became tangible, even that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the satisfaction for our sins. So. The fact that God sends a Savior, a Messianic Lord, would that God sent a king to rule over us might not be good news, except that the Bible tells us that this Messianic king is for us. And this Messianic king was willing to give himself completely to the uttermost for us. And that's what we find in the cross. So it's good news, but it, he says it's good news of great joy. The birth of Jesus Christ accomplishes the glory of God and the good of his people. So this is interesting. Verse 13, he says, and suddenly there was with the angel, the angel shows up and makes this announcement. And he says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude 
of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's well pleased. So he says, suddenly there was a, this word multitude, it means like an, an uncountable number, a full uh, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. So this was not a angelic quartet that appears behind the 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 angel and and backs him up right this is as far as you can see horizon to horizon the light the sky lights up and is filled with angelic hosts all proclaiming and praising the glory of god in what he's done in jesus christ and their message is glory to god in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased i think they are giving glory to god but they're also saying what they're saying is that what God has done through the birth of this child, what God is going to accomplish through the life of this child is going to accomplish the glory of God in the highest heavens and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 that what God is doing through the church as the redeemed people, he says, so you're, you're these broken, sinful people who desperately need a redeemer. And God has sent Jesus Christ, and you've turned to Christ in faith, and now you're, you're born again, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're being transformed into the image of Christ. Paul says that that is a display of God's glory in the heavens to all the cosmic powers, to, to the devil and every other cosmic power that wants to exalt itself against the glory and the rule of God. He presents the church. The church redeemed in Christ gives great glory to God in the heavenly places. And in in the highest, I've often, for a long time, I thought that in the highest meant like to the uttermost, like glory to God to the most that you can give him, the mostest, right? But it really means to in the highest heavens, and it's being contrasted with and on earth. So glory to God in in, in the highest heavens and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. So he's saying that what God is doing through Jesus Christ is going to have significance for every sphere of creation. There's no place in creation that's not going to be impacted by what Jesus Christ is doing. This is not about our small little kingdoms. This is about what God is doing in in cosmic history. God will have his glory in the highest heavens through Jesus Christ. And on earth, there's going to be peace. And this peace is the, it's the Hebrew idea of shalom. So it's not merely the absence of conflict, like we think about peace. If I can just keep things calm, I'll be okay, right? It's not the absence of conflict. It's the idea of wholeness and completeness in my life, that there is nothing lacking. And so he says that on earth, among those with whom God is pleased, and, and, and that term is like, uh, a technical term for the elect, the people who have turned to Christ in faith by the drawing of the Holy Spirit. On earth, with God's elect, there's going to be shalom. There's going to be a wholeness in the reign of God. Number three, so good news of great joy. Number three, the birth of Jesus Christ deserves to be pondered, praised, and proclaimed. The text continues, says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem. That's not really a great translation. That that word uh, in the Greek, it's the imperfect tense, which is a continuous action. So it, it's not it, it, to translate it as a past tense uh, is not 
quite right. It should be more like they kept saying to one another. They began saying to one another, and they kept on saying. So it's continuous action, incomplete action. And so what, what he's saying is they couldn't stop talking about this. After the angels left them, they kept talking about it. And they're talking to each other saying, man, that was crazy. What are we going to do? We got to go see this thing that they've told us about. And so they, and so they, uh, let this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. These guys are, are conscious of how privileged they are to be the recipients of this revelation in their world. Uh, they were not eligible to serve as witnesses in court. Uh, the the general view of shepherds is that they were thieves, and they were they were they were not along with yeah along with women they were not allowed to give testimony in courts. This is in in Luke chapter one. It talks about how God is well in Mary's Magnificat. She talks about how God is. Uh, given good things to the poor and how he's exalted the humble and the lowly. So these shepherds sort of represent the fulfillment of that. These shepherds are the lowly and the humble, the marginalized, that God, in his infinite wisdom, instead of going to the palace of Caesar Augustus and saying, guess what, I've got salvation coming, he goes to these shepherds out in the middle of the field in the dark and, and, and displays his glory. God, Scripture tells us, like, I can think of three times in Scripture where it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God God loves humility, and part of humility is knowing our need for him. And so he, he makes himself known to those who desire to know him. And so it continues on, verse 16, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. I've highlighted all these verbs that are like telling, telling, telling. They're like popcorn in this passage. Uh, They made known, they told it, they were told it, and then they had to tell it. Because this news is worth sharing, right? And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them, in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And so they find that baby lying in the feeding trough, exactly like the angel told them he would. And the angel said, "This will be a sign for you, because a feeding trough is not a normal place for a baby to be." And so when they went, and they knocked on the door and said, "Yeah, we're here to see Mary and Joseph." And then they walk in and they see a feeding trough with a baby in it. And everything that the Lord had told them was confirmed. And they're, you know, now they're like, ah, you know, hold on. I got to share this. Like, share, like, share. I got to tell, right? They got to tell everybody. So don't like and share. Ponder, praise, and proclaim. So this, this Christmas, I really want to encourage you to ponder the mystery of Christmas. I want to ask you to reflect deeply on the meaning and implication of God's gift for your life. Allow yourself to be amazed at his love for you. And this is, and, and ironically, Christmas is one of the most difficult times to do this, right? Because we're so busy, we're trying to get things done, trying to, trying to do life. But like Mary, and this word ponder in the text, it says that Mary treasured all these things in her heart, or treasured all these things up, pondering them in her heart. The word ponder means to reflect on it with a view to understanding its full meaning. 
with a view to understanding what the significance of this thing is. And so God, God calls us to ponder the gospel, to reflect on it in a way that, that where we're seeking to know the meaning uh, of this gift in our life. And what are the implications? If Jesus is who he claimed to be, if he really is this gift that surpasses all worth, how should that affect your life? How should that affect my life? How should, how should our lives be prioritized? I want to invite you to praise, offer God the wholehearted love and enthusiastic thanks that his gift deserves. When, when the Bible talks about giving glory to God, you know the word glory in, in the Bible means like weight, heaviness. In the, in the Old Testament, there's this, this, this guy and he's really, really fat and it says that he was glorious. Right? So the word means, the word means heavy. It were, and, and so when it's used of God, it means, is God weighty to us? Is he, does he have worth and value, right? And, and the idea, the concept is like, you know, something that's heavy is valuable. Uh, so, so offer to God the wholehearted love and enthusiastic thanks that his gift deserves. And this praise is an outflow of pondering because until you've opened your heart to God and invited him to show you what he's worth, to ignite a fire in your heart, to see him for who he truly is and the value of the gift that he's given us in Jesus Christ. The only kind of praise you'll have to give is hypocritical praise, a praise that's not genuinely from your heart. And third, proclaim. I want to invite you to tell someone this Christmas about the gift of God in the birth of Jesus Christ. These shepherds, when when they received this word from God, it says they just started talking to one another. Does that is that you? Do you... In your circles where you move, like even with Christian friends, do you find yourself just talking about the gospel? Man, I just got to tell you about what God is doing in my life. I just got to tell you about what I read this morning in the word and how the Lord, man, those words just jumped off the page at me. Or that I was praying and I really felt God give me a peace about this issue that I've been trying to pray through. Is that what characterizes your conversations? And then, of course, with unbelievers, that we can, in a really natural way, just share what it is that God has done for us and what it means for us and what the significance of his gift is. And Christmas is a, is a, is a prime time for that kind of conversation. So I want to encourage you again to ponder, praise, and proclaim. Kevin is going to come up and he's going to sing a song, which I, I, one of my favorite, uh, Christmas carols. It emphasizes a lot of what we've talked about. And I want to invite you, if you want prayer, if you if you feel that dryness, if you feel that you don't have the enthusiasm for for what God has done in Christ uh, that you ought to have, and that you struggle to give God appropriate praise, just raise your hand if you'd like prayer, and and somebody will be happy to pray with you. Heavenly Father, as we enter into this uh, brief ministry time, Lord, I ask that you would move and that uh, you would you would speak to the hearts of each person here. I don't pretend to know where they are. I don't pretend to know what the next step is for them, but you do, Father. And I just ask that you would speak to them, that you would uh, make it clear to them, God, and that, that we as a community would respond in obedience. Teach us how to love you rightly. God, teach us to give you the praise that you deserve. Would you awaken awe and wonder in our hearts for what you've done through Jesus Christ. 
we, we do not deserve the gift that you've given. And with open hands, Father, we just come saying thank you. And we ask you to meet us here and help us to be the people that you created us to be. In Jesus' name we ask it.